to the Bare Naked ABCs, where we discuss every single Bare Naked Lady song from 7 to Y. And I, I'm, I, I have to admit, I'm not really sure how to get into this week's discussion, how to in- introduce that in. Do you need me to uh, fly you in an intro on a helicopter? Uh... <laughs> <laughs> get to the chopper. Oh, that's bad, but I love it. <laughs> <laughs> that's the Rafflecopter. As you can hear, we have Aaron with us back this week. It's great to have you hello, with us hello. on a steady basis, Aaron. Yes, indeed. Good to be <laughs> and back. joining us tonight is David King Cannon. David, can you tell us a little bit about yourself for our fans? Oh, about myself. Uh, one of my favorite topics. Um, I am a singer and an actor from Denver. Uh, I um, do a lot of musical theater around town. Uh, been a big fan of the Bare Naked Ladies since the late '90s, probably around the time Stunt came out. As probably most, you know, I think that's probably most people's story. Um, I uh, do. I have done a, a few podcasts throughout the last few years. Uh, my main podcast was called Podvocacy, P-O-D-D-O-C-A-C-Y. It's a general pop culture podcast. And then I did a Movies by Minute podcast called The Everlasting Minute, where my partner Jason Kirk and I broke down all 99 minutes of Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory, the 1971 classic film. Um, Good choice of the two. Yes, absolutely. We we poked plenty of fun at Johnny Depp during those 99 minutes. We had a good time. As you should have. Yes. So uh, (laughs) those can be found at podvocacy.com and everlastingminute.com. Those archives are still there. They're, so, they're then, everlasting. Uh, they're yes, they are everlasting. Well, as long as as long as I keep paying the hosting bills, I suppose. <laughs> um, I've I've guested on a couple of podcasts. Uh, we have a mutual friend in Blake Riley who has mm. also appeared on this podcast. Uh, I've appeared on a couple of his Clerks Minute and uh, D Five The Mighty Ducks. So that's actually how I came to you because I yep. I was looking for people that would be on our show, and Blake was like, "How come you have not had David on yet?" <laughs> Because nobody's ever heard of me. I mean, that's that's why. <laughs> but it's good to have you on. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. So this week we're going to talk about the song Helicopters, which is off from what album, Aaron? Maroon. You that was that a guess or did you? No, know that? I, I, well, that was a guess. I uh, I instrumentally I was I was feeling conventioneers a little bit and. Um, and Steven's voice was a bit more refined, not quite as raw as you heard in like Gordon. Mm. And I was like, well, you know, it could be it could be stunt, but I, I figured it was maroon. So good guess on my part, I guess. Excellent guess on your part right there. Perfect. So this is the second to last song on Maroon, which is from 2000. Um, it is a Paige Robertson song, or at least that's how it is uh, credited. Um, if you've never heard this song before or just want a nice little refresher, here's a quick snippet. This is where the helicopters came to take me away. This is where the children used to play. This is only half a mile away. 
from the attack. So there is a version of this that was done live um, from March in 2004. Um, it's interesting because they actually put the rotor noises at the beginning of the song as well as at the end of the song. And then they fit, it, it was um, what, that tour where they were doing everything live and recording it all live. Um, so it's actually a really good recording of it. And then at the end of the song, the whole band does a kazoo version of We Are the World. So it's actually a lot of fun to listen to. Um, there's also a version of this of Stephen alone, where he was going out in 2005 and promote, uh, promoting or just having some fun because he was playing at a Borders and he plays this slightly faster than any of the other versions. It makes it sound a little happier, interestingly enough. Um, and then he finishes the song with the outro by whistling it instead and then does some banter with the audience. So that's actually kind of fun too. <laughs> Proving how hard whistling live really is. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so let's I, did, talk... I did listen to that. So, <laughs> so if we're, we're going to talk about the music anyways, let's get right into the music. Aaron, can you break it down for us? All right, let's break it down. Break down, break down, break down. Aaron's going to talk about construction and time. Okay, this was an interesting one. Uh, this one actually had me kind of making some notes here and checking my on my keyboard. Uh, Helicopters was recorded, uh, the Maroon album version, it's somewhere between 133 and 134 beats per minute, somewhere in that range. It's in the key of F major. We start out right in the verse, uh, no instrumental intro. Um, I like that the drums come in on the second verse. That always pleases me for some reason. It feels like uh, I like the feel of building towards something, I suppose. Uh, the verse changes are F major to B flat major to G minor to C major back to F major, which right out of the gate is a classic 1-4-2-5 progression, quite common in jazz and gospel music. However, you might instantly uh, most recognize this from the verse section of Jingle Bells. Uh, <laughs> what I'm going to call the pre-chorus changes it up just a little bit here we have f major to b flat major back to f major then b flat major again then g minor and then repeat so you have one four one four uh two hmm. uh, then this last time through the changes you have f to b flat to c which is the fifth so it resolves quite nicely back to the tonic f major uh, then we're back in the verse that first time and then every time after that the pre-chorus of course launches into the chorus uh, so the chorus, uh, where it says, I'll be leaving soon, also begins on F, and then moves to B-flat, then F, then C, then, <laughs> uh, let's see, F to B-flat to G minor to C. So we have 1 to 4 to 1 to 5, very classic, very pop rock chorus, then 1 to 4 to 2 to 5, and again we get those 1, 4, 2, 5 changes. Um, the bridge goes from F, again, starting on the tonic, to D minor to C, uh, so you have one six five. So far, everything's been you know fairly, fairly pop rock with a, maybe a little bit of jazz influence. But here's where it gets really interesting because then we hear F to E flat to D flat to F to B flat minor to B flat. So we start to get all these non diatonic chords. Uh, chords. There's there's a key change here. Uh, at first, I wasn't sure if it was going to. Uh, maybe D minor, because D minor was a relative major, minor of F major, but we have non-diatonic chords here, and come to think of it, most of them are diatonic to F minor. So I think we've actually just shifted from F major into F minor. Uh, either way, it's a very pretty series of rapid chord changes leading us back to G minor, 
then D flat to C, leading us back to the F, where we go back into the verse. So the structure of the song is verse one, which is your A section, verse two, A, pre-chorus B, verse three, A, pre-chorus B, chorus C, uh, then verse four, then pre-chorus B, uh, then chorus again, C, then bridge, D, verse five, A, pre-chorus B, chorus C, and outro. So A, A, B, A, B, C, A, A, B, C, D, A, B, C, or A, B, C, D, A, B, C. Now, I can tell that we have a guest that is musically inclined with us, because this whole time, I have that blank stare as I'm sitting there trying to analyze what Aaron is saying and make sense of it in my mind. I'm very visual that way. And I see David over there nodding his head, like, yep, yep, that, yep, and backing up, like, what they, Aaron's saying. They had a lot it's, of fun with this one. They did. It's, I was actually, uh, last night I was playing through it on my acoustic guitar um, in my living room, and so I was kind of looking at the chord changes, and yeah, that that one section where, where they do, it does seem to switch to F minor is, is a little complicated, a little tricky. Yeah, I didn't really hear it coming. It, was, it, it really works, though. I, I yeah, like it, it does. a lot. So, yeah, I, this is, um, you know, I guess, again, one of the things I really love about especially early uh, BNL is they, their musical kind of sense of adventure. And, and um, I don't know, having gone to music school, you know, going with, you know, having had experiences writing songs where we just try and kind of do weird things and try things out. Uh, I get a little bit of sense of that here. I mean, obviously, they're pretty seasoned by this point. Uh, they make things that are pretty slickly produced and everything, but you can still hear that kind of element of uh, of uh, exploration, which I like a lot. Um, it's a lovely song. I hear some Beatles influence, certainly, some jazz influence, maybe fusion-y to a certain extent, maybe even a little R.E.M., given the thematic elements. <laughs> That's my take on it. What do you guys think? Well, and I think that, so you mentioned how produced this was, mm. and I think it's important to note that as as much as this is a basic alternative rock type song, this is very produced. You can tell that by a lot of ways that this is a Don Was production uh, because of the way that you have this wall of sound, and that that's a Don Was thing. Like, how many things can we throw into this song to just build and build and build onto it? Um, so, just real quick, I'm going to throw in all the instruments here. <laughs> we have Stephen, who's on acoustic guitar as well as lead vocals. But interestingly enough, and I don't know if you heard this in there, Aaron, I couldn't pick it out because there's so much other stuff. There's, he's also playing the recorder. Yep, I think I know where that was. Uh, wow, yeah. Is that, <laughs> that at the end Steven? with the da 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 I'm pretty sure. the very end of yeah. the outro? Yeah. Um, and so really then we also have layer. Ed doing the electric guitar, a 12-string guitar, and the mandolin. We've got Jim on electric bass, violin, viola, and double oh, bass. Very nice. We've got wow. Kevin on the electric guitar, keyboard, and melodica. <laughs> and then we've got Tyler on drums, tambourine, bells, and shaker. <laughs> yeah, I love like, multi-instrumentalists. Wow. Yeah, I really, really <laughs> like that. This is one of those songs where they're like, let's just throw everything in the kitchen sink into this song. Well, but it doesn't sound horrible like no, it makes, it's, it's, like that list would make you think it's a collage it's very nice uh this is why i often make comparisons that they might be giants because you have these guys playing all these different instruments and they're, they're kind of all over the map but they always make something really interesting and usually fits within the framework of pop or rock somehow <laughs> <laughs> usually what were your thoughts on, on the 
on the, so cor- I, on the I, music. I really like the way it builds. I love the fact that it yeah. that it just starts out with those single quarter note strums or single whole note strums um, on the acoustic guitar to start, and then it just kind of starts adding layers in. Um, that's that's one of my favorite things that any musician or band does. Um, and so I really, I really like that. I love the, the, the sort of electric guitar fill that, um, Ed is playing sort of through that first verse. Once the, once the rest of the band comes in with, after the point where there's not just the acoustic anymore, but it, yeah, it definitely does build there. There are some interesting, like the, the idea that there's a melodica in there. <laughs> I had, I had not heard that. And, you know, melodica is not one of those things that's subtle usually. So, um, <laughs> Yeah, I'm gonna have to now. I'm gonna have to go back and listen to it again with with my my better ears on. So sometimes, <laughs> sometimes known as the nerd flute. Yes. <laughs> and that's the thing. Like they like to see how much interesting things they can do yeah. with some of these songs, especially when Don was produced. Was was yeah. Let me try that again. When Don was was producing. <laughs> Thank you. Yes. <laughs> of was course, now, now that you corrected that, I have to cor- I have to keep my mistake in there. Even uh, better. <laughs> Um, but it's like what Tyler is doing in this song is really mm. fascinating. I, I actually would like to know, Aaron, if you were able to like figure out what he's doing there during that chorus, because the beat that he is playing is, I get fascinating is the only word I can keep coming back to because it really intrigues me and pulls me in and makes me want to listen more closely. So I'm actually curious to hear David's thoughts on this. I, I when you told me about it, I specifically listened to it, um, and honestly, I don't think it's. I think it sounds more complex than it actually is, because it's a syncopated rhythm over a very square and on the beat vocal line. But I think you know it could give the impression of like a polyrhythm, almost like a three over four kind of thing. Uh, I think that's what you're hearing, Tracy, because we got like the fills on the toms and and the I think they had bongos or congos or something as well, and that's all being layered to create this kind of uh, really interesting, almost polyrhythmic kind of sound where you've got triplets going over like a more straight up rock four four beat. Would you say that, uh, David? I would, although I will point out that my that percussion is not exactly my forte mm. <laughs> as a as a rhythm guitar as a primarily rhythm guitar player and singer. But yes, I definitely do think there are some some polyrhythmic elements going on. I don't know anything about drums or music in general when it comes to breaking down the music. I just say I love it. Like like yeah. it's a very simple beat leading into it, and then you hit that chorus, and whatever he's layering in there is just well, amazing. Yeah, and I think if there if there is some polyrhythmic stuff going on there, it's probably that's the intent. Is because as David pointed out, one of the things that this song does really well is build and build and build. And um, it's, it's funny that you pointed that out because I was actually thinking when I was listening to this song about uh, the song "Girl" by Beck, which I don't know if you guys have heard. Very, very different kind of song feel-wise, but he he crafted it so perfectly when the certain elements come in and join, when the bass comes in, when the drums come in. There's just something like so perfect about the way that he structured that song, which I was getting kind of a similar feel on this. What were your thoughts on the end of this song? Because they end it in a really interesting way. They decided to go into an outro. Yeah. <laughs> It's an interesting choice, um, especially if you... So we're going to talk about the lyrics at some point. 
Yes. Um, depending on how you interpret the lyrical outro, I think there's a there's a very interesting push and pull of lyrical content versus musical content at the end of the song. Mm -hmm. um, because if you take if you take the end of the song as in a dark in a dark manner, um, I do. as I as do I, <laughs> um, then I think I think there is this. I mean that that outro is is very kind mm -hmm. of happy and super melodic and paired against the "I'll be leaving soon" mm -hmm. is you know it's that that's a that's some dark stuff there. It reminds um, me of the ending of the film Brazil, <laughs> where like Gilliam set out to make a movie where the happy ending was the guy losing his mind. <laughs> so yeah, yeah, I totally, totally agree. Uh, yeah, the lyrics were very, very interesting, and uh, I mean they're definitely open to interpretation. Sure, they're they're obfuscated just enough to allow you to kind of interpret in different ways. But yeah, I tend to, especially since I know that Paige was involved in writing this, I tend to err towards the side of dark, the dark side. Fair. <laughs> well, it's, it's one of those things, it reminded me a lot of Billy Joel with Goodnight Saigon, with that, the ending that kind of, and, and once again, a very similar type theme. But one of the things I think was really interesting with that outro is at the end, it, the, it must be Kevin, I'm guessing, on the keyboard, playing that almost sounds like rotors of a helicopter going by at the very end. And then you end right. on something which doesn't happen with BNL very often, that one singular note that holds on for a while. Well, I feel like in order to discuss this further, we really need to get into lyrics because I, I really <laughs> I really do think there's a programmatic element right. here. Yes. Now, before we do that, I do want to put one more thing out there before we slip into the lyrics, though. Someone mentioned online, I didn't hear it. I went back through it. I tried to hear it a million times over, but we all know how good my ears are. Um, someone mentioned that they thought that the, there was the MASH theme in the background during the bridge. I didn't see it. I didn't hear it. I went online to try to see what the keys were. It, it's in a different key. The chords are different, so I couldn't tell. Um, I would love it if that's what they did, was that they layered it in there somehow. That would be really cool, especially for that section. Uh, but I didn't I didn't hear that. I, I didn't hear that. Yeah. I and I had seen – yeah, absolutely. I want it to be true, too. And I had seen that somewhere posted. Um, but, yeah, I just – I listened for it, and I just couldn't hear it anywhere. I tried to, I was like, well, maybe they got it wrong and they, they thought it was the bridge, but it was the course. And I listened during the course. I couldn't even hear yeah. it during the course either. So I just, I think the person was hearing what they wanted to hear, but I'll, I'll also <laughs> splice in right here a piece of Suicide is Painless, which is the MASH theme. Um, and you guys test it and see it. So here's the Suicide is MASH, or Suicide is Painless. That suicide is painless. It brings on many changes. And I can take or leave it if I please. The game of life is hard to play. I'm gonna lose it anyway. The losing card I'll someday lay. So this is all I have to say. And here is the bridge of the song. Cause everyone's so cold 
If you know the answer, send it to uh, just put "suicide is mash" on a on a postcard and send it to uh, bare naked ladies. You're not gonna let any of my mistakes fly this week, are you? <laughs> They're all staying in. Another postcard. Another postcard with probably with chimpanzees. Yeah. We haven't gotten any with chimpanzees yet. Be nice <laughs> to get another one. Send, the, send those postcards, sports fans. Well, why don't we slip over into the lyrics now? before I make any more mistakes. <laughs> before we get into the deep, deep lyrics, I want to point out something that's really interesting, which is different for any other BNL song, or very rare for a BNL song, I should say, in that we have a chorus, which is one simple line. I'll be leaving soon. That's that's the chorus. It repeats a couple of times, but that's it, which is pretty rare. Usually their choruses are pretty full. Not this one, but it, it doesn't leave you wanting either. It, it makes sense in the song. It also potentially changes meaning each time it's repeated. Absolutely. Like... Completely agree. That's one of the great things about this. And it, and it kind of mm. goes back to the one of the things that we'll talk about three years from now. With Tonight I Fell Asleep at the Wheel, they do that <laughs> where, where Stephen likes to have this one line where depending yeah, on what changes, meaning. Up, changes the meaning of what's being sure. said. I, I think that's a really cool thing that he likes to do and Definitely. he does it late in the next song as well because of that. Uh, because that's the next song on this album. Mm. So, Alright, well let me get into the, the lyrics of this song. Um, there's a lot of people out there that I, I don't know why they were thinking this, but they were thinking that this is a soldier singing this, that the narrator is a journalist. Um, I I personally, I don't think there's a lot of room for interpretation. I think this song is about a protest singer that is out there, you know, singing for the troops. And this is him writing his song about that experience. And, and Stephen is, in a very meta way, writing a song about a person that writes songs. Yeah, I would agree. Agreed. Now, my interpretation on that is I think he's writing about one of his favorite favorite singers of all time, Bruce Coburn. So Bruce Coburn actually wrote a song called If I Had a Rocket Launcher. I'll put in a brief snippet of it here. Here comes the helicopter Second time today Everybody scatters and hopes it goes away. And the first line of that actually mirrors the beginning of this song. First line of this song that we're talking about tonight is This is where the helicopters came to take me away. The first line of If I Had a Rocket Launcher is Here Comes a Helicopter Second Time Today. Very close, very rhyming. Bruce Coburn was known to be a political singer, a, a protest singer. And I think that. That Stephen, in a lot of ways, was trying to speak about that experience. I'll get to later about Stephen's actual statements about that, but yeah, I'd like to talk a little bit about that. I think that makes a lot of sense. Um, I think the the comparisons are certainly there to be drawn. It's interesting because I think even more so when you get further into the lyrical content. Because uh, if I had a rocket launcher, has a talks a lot about how children are affected by war, you know, and we do have the lines in, you know, in this about the, the school being bombed, you know, they say by mistake, you know, and this is where the children used to play those kinds of things, those kinds of uh, illustrations. Yeah. But yeah, like that, it, it mirrors it a, enough 
that at first I was going to go, well, he's writing about Bob Dylan. He's writing about John Lennon. He's writing about these other political singers that, that he admires. And then I, I came across the Bruce Coburn song. I'm like, Oh no, like this is like he, they highly admired Bruce Coburn as a band. This I think is more than anything who they were really thinking of in a lot of ways when they were writing this. You know, I I'm aware of Bruce Coburn because my friend sent me a couple of his songs, which I really like, but I haven't explored his library enough to be able to weigh on this authoritatively. I don't like speaking on a topic unless I really know what I'm talking about. So I'm happy to sit back and let you guys discuss. <laughs> in fact, I thought his name was pronounced very differently. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, <laughs> I don't honestly know much more, but I had I had looked at I had looked at it if I had a rocket launcher earlier today. So that was if um, I had a rocket launcher. <laughs> <laughs> That's where he came. That came from. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> I, the other thing I think is really important here um, is that we're seeing a pattern or we will see a pattern um, that. BNL is starting to slip into their political phase at this point. You know, mm-hmm. following this, we have fun, fun and games, which comes out on the next album. Um, earlier on this album, we have sell, 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 mm-hmm. um, which we'll get to down the road. Like BNL at this point is, I think, in a lot of ways, like okay, we're going to start taking on some of this political stuff and start addressing it. But they're also, I think, kind of looking at it and saying, well, what's going to happen to us when we do that? Sure. Uh, I think it's, you know, I think that's one of those things that when you, when you start to gain a platform like they had after stunt, yeah um, it's one of those things that you sort of look at and you're like, okay, now how can we use this platform to, to say the things that we want to say, but we have to balance that with not alienating our audience, you know? And I think, I'll be honest, I think being Canadian sort of helps a little bit with that. Um, <laughs> you know, I think the... Yeah. As a as a more you know a country that sits a little more to the left than the U.S., I do think that you know that helps that helps somewhat. Yeah, yeah, just a little bit. <laughs> um, uh, I think that helps, and I and I do think that it's one of those things that they consciously looked at and said, okay, how do we use this platform? And that was sort of a thing going forward. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, I was thinking about the flag when I was listening to this. That one's obviously much more somber and uh it's a very stirring song i love that song but yeah it just kind of reminded me because of the the, the pretty serious uh lyrical content and the and the kind of the i mean i think i guess tonally musically they're fairly different but uh right. lyrically there, there's some similar similar tonality there fun fact i actually listened to your episode on the flag oh nice this afternoon oh, wow. as i was prepping <laughs> for the podcast so it's a great song I love it is song. a great song and it, we'll get to it when I get to my ratings. Like, there's another reason that this really kind of resonated with me, too, with the flag. It's actually, mm. I actually was thinking of that song when I was writing up my review for tonight as well. So there's something about this, like, I'm going to say something meaningful here and, and take it seriously, but write it beautifully. That really kind of connects in with that old message that they had back in Gordon. You know, I just realized there's another Canadian artist who they may be somewhat channeling here with this um, kind of anti-war protester singer, and that's Joni Mitchell. I was thinking oh. about her song, The Fiddle and the Drum. Interesting. Good point. I like that. 
What about the tragically hip? Were they? Did they also? Um. Yeah, they definitely had some anti-war stuff going on. Um. They were fairly political. It's funny because I put them. I have this triumvirate of tragically hip, REM, and Midnight Oil. So you have a Canadian band, an American band, and an Australian band, and they all have these similarities. If you listen to some of their songs back to back to back, they don't sound the same. You can tell them apart, but there's something about those three bands that they share this kind of uh, similar aesthetic to. So yeah, I feel like yeah, uh, yeah, they were up there with like REM doing like Orange Crush and stuff like that. <laughs> We've been kind of going off about what we think this song is about. Mm-hmm. I want to put out there what Steven says this song is actually about. Um, because he did actually, in Paul Meyer's book, Public Stunts, Private Stories, make a statement specifically about this song. Here's what he said, and I do recommend, as I'm now speaking directly from the book, that you go out and actually read this book. It's an amazing book, especially if you want to understand the songs around Maroon, because they break down almost every song around Maroon just because it was fresh for them at the time. Steven says, it's better to actually try to make a difference, even if nobody knows how to accept your actions at face value. Let's just say it's about a musician or whatever who goes into a place where there's a conflict. It could be Serbia. It could be Columbine High School. It's that idea of let's get a famous musician to come. And they come in there and they're shaken to the core by it. It's saying that Sting, for instance, gets made fun of or becomes an iconic icon for being involved in a cause. The world loses sight of the fact that he wasn't doing it for the self-aggrandizement. He's thinking, what can I do to help? But two stages down the road, that gets lost. It's part of trying to understand the phenomenon of being asked to do charity events and the marketing trade-off implicit in the events. Whenever you attract cameras to some event, where you're speaking of an issue like millions of children are dying of tooth decay or something, then you're also helping to sell some of your own records. And now people know of it and they start thinking, well, what's the spin? And they stop thinking about what the actual message is. They were, so then they also talked about how they were invited to do a feel good media event at Columbine just after it happened. And they turned it down because it wasn't requested by the students. And Stevens like if they if the kids of Columbine had written us a petition saying that it would be helpful for us to play for them then we absolutely would have gone. It would have felt difficult for us to just go and entertain without being the crusaders of the land of no guns. There's a danger in appearing to be self-righteously moralizing. Very nuanced position I think, yeah. But if you listen to the song after hearing that, mm. which I highly I highly recommend people do, you can hear all of that in the song. Like all of those themes are in there, layered throughout that song. Sure. Uh, one of the things that I had written down in my notes, um, what, and I think this jibes with what he's talking about, is that to me, one of the things that the song was talking about was cynicism, mm. and how you know, especially when you look at when you look at that third verse or the last verse, when he's talking about, you know, um, though it's only half a month away, the media's gone, an entertaining scandal broke today, but I can't move on. So he's he's very earnest in the way he looks at things. And then, you know, you get to the point where everybody's laughing while at me, the, while at me they point the finger. Mm-hmm. So it almost feels like a cynical world pointing at somebody who, who feels that earnestness and right. basically laughing at them. Yeah. 
saying um, like you're just trying to pull attention to yourself for, right. for around this cause. That's a really important cause. Why are you doing that? Why are you pulling right. attention to yourself when, as he pointed out, like that was never the point. The point right. was always to pull attention to the to the charity to the problem, and that gets lost. So yeah, there's that. It, it's very cynical, like you had mentioned. It, it's a very cynical look at this whole process. Right. And I, you know, I think that plays out in the, you know, at the end when he, you know, he, he makes the, you know, that big, that big final line, the world, a world that loves its irony must hate the protest singer, which again, I, you know, I, I feel like, I feel like that is sort of that push and pull between earnestness and cynicism. I was going to ask about that line. I, I would like to hear you, both of your thoughts on what that line means. I love it. It's an amazing line. It always kind of hits me at the end of the song. It's placed perfectly so you have, you're left thinking about that line. What do you think that that line means? The, what I take from it is this. Is that when, when the world as a whole mm-hmm. can't look at anything with any kind of sincerity, then the people who are sincere in that world, they're going to be looked at in a way, they're going to be looked at funny. They're going to be looked at like they're doing something wrong. And so that's where that, that kind of hatred comes in. Well, it's, it's interesting because to like, obviously the song, the, the text of the song is talking about this attitude towards war, but I feel like there's an attitude. There there was a prevailing attitude for a long time in, in the artistic world and media and everything else that was very much coming to a head at this point. And shortly after, in the early, the mid to late noughties into the into the twenty tens, we started seeing this kind of turn towards what they called the new sincerity. Right, and the idea was that irony and and sarcasm and stuff were kind of becoming tired, and people were just like, "Hey, can't we just like things now?" <laughs> Unironically, right? <laughs> so, yeah, that, maybe they predicted that to a certain extent. Do you have any favorite lines of this song? I'll be leaving soon. <laughs> 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 yes, we haven't really touched on on that ending. Uh, you know the. So, do we think that the ending is uh, maybe somebody come contemplating suicide? Suicide is painless. It brings on many changes, and I can take or leave it if I please. I one hundred percent think think that. Yeah. I mean, he just, if he, he, yeah, go ahead. He just he just can't live in this world anymore. Yeah, I mean, I mean, when he, if you look at each time it's used, it starts oh. off. I'll be leaving soon. He's talking about the bar. The second yes. time, I'll be leaving soon. He's talking about maybe the country or that's been devastated. Right. And the third time, everybody's laughing. Let me the point a finger. A world that loves its irony must hate the protest singer. So I'll be leaving soon. He just was talking about the world. That's where he's leaving. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I really do feel like that's what what it kind of built towards. And again, you're yeah. changing the meaning of that uh, every time you hear it. It's very very uh, effective. No, that's an amazing way of of putting it, you guys. Like, yeah, I, had, I hadn't thought of it that way, but yeah, if you look at it, wow, blew that's my how mind. I interpret it. Yeah, that's how I interpret <laughs> it. But again, I'm I'm kind of a I'm kind of a dark dude sometimes. <laughs> no, it, it to- like. Once you said it, all of that just suddenly clicked and made absolute sense. Like if it didn't, I'd be like, "No, that's that's horse <laughs> poodoo." Um, <laughs> but <laughs> but no, it makes absolute sense. And, and then you go back and look at the whole song, and 
now it even makes even more sense that this person is feeling very possibly depressed and suicidal and and contemplating why everything went wrong and where it all went wrong, but still feeling that he didn't do anything wrong. Yeah, I think um, I think one of the things that I that I took away after a couple of listens was in the third verse, he seems to be taking things very personally. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I actually I actually wondered aloud. Um, you know, when he says everybody's laughing while at me, they point a finger. Are they actually, or is that his perception? Right. And so, you know, I mean, it, it, there are, you know, there are times when we perceive things incorrectly because of mood or mental health or, you know, what, what have you, I, you know, there is, I think there's a possibility that there's some of that going on in this. And he's a, the, the character, the narrator seems like a very sensitive character. Yeah. Um, and so I, you know, I, I think along with that earnestness, there's that sensitivity. And I, I do, I do really think that, you know, the way, the way the, the lyrics build that we are getting into some really dark territory by the end. No, definitely. I mean, and you see it a little bit even before that, where he's saying like, I can't move on. Like he is still stuck. He, you know, here's a man who sounds like out of just this situation, not so much having, seen any actual violence or any actual wartime danger itself because he's a sensitive person having seen the devastation that that was laid in the wake of it that was traumatic for him and he Mm -hmm. seems to be dealing with ptsd of of this situation to the point that he's like i'm haunted by this story like it is continuing even after i've written this song it continues to to stick with me and not let go it's a very dark ending it is with a um, very happy sound. <laughs> yeah, again, that's that's why it reminded me of Brazil because it ends on that happy tune, and it's like, you know, they can't reach him anymore. He's, he's insane. Um, but no, I you you asked about favorite lyrics, and I, I said I'll be leaving soon. But also, um, it's hard to sympathize with all this devastation, hopping around from site to site like tourists on vacation. That made me think of the people who are doing like tourist photo tours of uh, uh, Chernobyl. Now, after that became a, a, a famous site because of the television show, mm-hmm. uh, it's really, really weird to know that people are doing that. Um, I, although it's pretty hypocritical of me because I still want to go and, and explore Centralia at some point. So. <laughs> <laughs> and that's still on fire underground. Wow. I really like buried in the din of rotor noise and close explosions. I do my best to synthesize the sounds and my emotions. Mm. Um, I love, I love the picture that he's painting there of, you know, being on this helicopter with all of this noise and he's trying, he's trying his best to, you know, in his head, maybe write a song. Um, Mm -hmm. and he's trying to put these two things together, you know, in the wake of this, the attack. And, you know, he has that line, this is where my life changed in a day. And then it changed back. That Um, was my favorite line. It's a good line. That I I like I love the word synthesize there, especially because it has you know multiple meanings, especially to a musician, because mm-hmm. you know you think of you think of synthesis in terms of putting things together, but you also think of it in terms of a synthesizer and the sort of artificiality. And he's you know I I feel like there's almost like a fight against that artificiality in this person's mm-hmm. in this person's words. Yeah, um, and so I love you know and his emotions, and I I love that idea. Well, and the idea of using the word synthesized, like when it comes down to it, like 
a synthesizer is meant to sound like so many different things, but never quite reaches that. And, and, and today's synthesizers are not meant to. But when they were first created, like the idea of the keyboards and synthesizers was to approximate these other sounds like trumpets right. and such. But never got there. And in a lot of ways, I think he's, it, with that, using that word, he's saying, like, I'm trying to come close to what this is like, but I'm never going to get it. It also implies a, a sort of process that he's going through mm. that I really that I really like that, especially, you know, when taken in the larger work and how it's, you know, sort of exploring trauma, um, you know, trying to process those emotions is is a really interesting thing. Agreed. Wow. Well, when yeah. I was starting to write my notes for tonight, I did not know that we were going to get this deep <laughs> with our discussion. I am glad that we did. Like, this is one of those songs where it is absolutely fun to dig and dig. And the more that you dig, the more you seem to be coming up with more and more gold from the song. It's one of the things yep. that I like. And, I, and it's one of the reasons that I think of the Stunt Maroon Hour as probably their golden era of of songwriting is for this reason all the things that we've been talking about tonight agreed well let's see if if our numbers agree with that this week's rating is going to be how many protest singers do we give this song david do you do you have your number ready i think i do have it in my head so i'm gonna because i don't want to be morbid um i'm going to keep (laughs) this to whole numbers because i don't want (laughs) to divide up any protest singers so I'm going to give it a four. Oh, wow. I okay. really, I really like this song. Maroon is one of my favorite albums and there's so much going on. Um, there's so much to think about, so much to listen for and so much to, uh, you know, ruminate on. Well, I'll say so. Uh, yeah. So a solid four protest singers. All right. Aaron, why don't we flip over to you? What, how many protest singers do you give this song? I'm conflicted. It's definitely at least a four. I have to consider all the previous scores I've given at this point. I mean, I would say... It's easy for me as the guest because I don't have to compare it to anything <laughs> I, that I've, I've got done. all this baggage mm-hmm. I have to deal with here. Right. I mean, I don't, I, like it as, I don't like it as much as Alternative Girlfriend. I gave that a 4.5. Do I like it more it's than Bank It's different than Alternative Girlfriend. It's apples and oranges. Like, yeah, like, it is. you like, gotta try and do. I have to say, this week when I was looking through my scores, as you're thinking here, I'm gonna vamp to give you a little bit of time. Um, <laughs> as I was looking through this week's scores, I was like, yeah, but it's not that type of song. I can't compare it to that. Like, I can't compare it to, to you know, half a heart. I can't compare it to Green, Green Christmas. I can't compare it to Alcohol because they're very different types of songs than this song really is. This song is more of a the flag or um, uh, When I Fall. That's more what this kind of song is, and it's hard to compare it to the other ones in the meantime. Yeah, and I did I did think about The Flag, which I gave a perfect five to. I don't, I don't quite like it as much as The Flag. I like it quite a lot. I, I think it's very musically adventurous uh, to a certain extent, um, and I love that wall of sound, that kind of Beatles feel. But yeah, it just it didn't it didn't stir me exactly as as, uh, as strongly as the flag did. But uh, especially with you know, given the lyrics and the the some somewhat uh, interesting kind of dissonance between the lyrics and the musical feel, that really kind of made it really interesting for me. And uh, and how you reinterpret that refrain lyric. Ultimately, I'm going to give it four point two protest singers. So I am sorry, one of the protest singers <laughs> I had to saw off an arm or something like that. Oh, <laughs> But uh, 
That'll give him something to protest. <laughs> you, you, caught, you, you caught you sawed off the arm and then you took it with you and left left him behind. I'm a war criminal, apparently. And I can wave out the helicopter with his arm. <laughs> or her. Equal opportunity. Or or her. Okay. Right. Well I found there that are. protest singer. And I oh. and I brought that protest singer along, <laughs> so I, I think this is a really beautiful song that I never listened to. Um, I think that's the best way to put it. It's it very poetic. It tells an amazing story, and I think that's another important thing that we didn't specify, but we talked about all night. Is this is a story song? This isn't abstract. It, it very much tells a direct yeah. story of what's going on as you follow through this person's however much time that it occurs over. And just like the flag, I never listened to it because of the topic. It, it is a very, even though it has a fast, upbeat, kind of happy sound to it, it's a very dark song. Um, it's not one that I can sit there and listen to with the kids in the car. However, every time that we go to war as a nation, it re-enters my rotation um, because it is such a great story song and it really kind of usually matches up with what how I'm feeling about being at war. So I give this a Bruce Coburn, a Bob Dylan, a John <laughs> Lennon, a Woody Guthrie, and then the whatever protest singer that Aaron left behind. I'm, I'm picking most of that person up and bringing him with me as well. Joni Mitchell. See, it was a her. A her. <laughs> he left Joni Mitchell behind. I'm, I'm bringing Joni. Sorry, Joni. I really like your work. <laughs> so I give it a 4.75. Wow. Wow. Very, very strong nice. recommendation. Uh, Joni, we know you listen. Please come on the show. <laughs> <laughs> Not after that. <laughs> you left I'll give you behind. Look, I have to give her arm back somehow. <laughs> With that being said, <laughs> why don't we go over to appearances where we can talk ah. about a bunch of other singers. This week, I've already given this appearance on another podcast, and I think it's only fair that I bring it back here and give it on this podcast. Uh, when I was on the Weird Alphabet recently, uh, please go out, listen to the Weird Alphabet episode where we discuss every single Weird Al show episode in, in two shows straight. <laughs> it was a marathon that recorded very late one night. For that episode, I gave out an appearance that I think fits really well. It's Weird Al hosted a TV show that you guys actually may remember back on VH1, Al back in the, the, I want to say it was in the 90s, um, but it might have been 90s, might have been the, the aughts. It's called The List. The List. Where every week they would oh. discuss a different list and the artist would have to bring things to the list to discuss about what they thought for whatever the topic was. The topic of this one, well, first let me tell you who was on it. We had Dweezil Zappa. We had Stephen Page. We had Martha Quinn. And we had Judy Tenuta. A really interesting and eclectic very uh, group there. And the topic for this week was great moments in rock history. So the idea was each one of them would give out three. And then at the end, each one of them would delete someone else's <laughs> off that list and then the audience chose what the number one off that list was steven chose run dmc and aerosmith recording walk this way because it was the first time that rap got on tv mm. and then he chose the newport folk festival where 
Bob Dylan played the electric guitar instead of an acoustic guitar mm. and shocked the audience. Dylan goes electric. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then the last one he chose was the emergence of punk rock. So interesting, really great, momentous things. All three guests took off his choices at the end. Wow. <laughs> I was Holy like, you moly. son of a gun. <laughs> Steven took it like all, a champ. <laughs> those were all outstanding. What, what, what one? So was I it the first caveman I, to stretch an animal skin across the... <laughs> make a drum? You're, you're going to have to go on and watch it. I'm going to post them this week. Steven took off the release of Louie Louie off the list. That was his That was his removal off the list. So I have to agree. I, like It's an important thing, but it was not like the biggest, greatest moment in rock history. Yeah, I think that has that's one of those things that like at the time was huge, but has sort of faded in reflection. Yeah. So go out there, watch that. I'm going to have that on our list this week. Um, it is an hour long, so take the time to watch it. Um, what a, you know, David? Thank you for coming on. Do you want to plug any things that we can that we can put into the liner notes for this week for people to go out and hear more uh, of you? Yeah, absolutely. Go to podbecacy.com. You can find most of my output there. Uh, everlastingminute.com and if you happen to be listening to this and you're in the Denver area um, provided that current events don't keep going the way they are going uh, in June of 2020 I will be performing in the musical 1776 at the Lakewood nice. Cultural Center in Lakewood, Colorado so congratulations thank you yeah that's very cool thank you go out buy tickets for that as long as it's still going I, I right. hopefully, it, hopefully it will happen hopefully yes hopefully Hopefully. So, and hopefully Stephen Pages will also go on in this June when it comes up. Um, right. I, I want to just throw out there, Aaron, last week you and I were bouncing ideas about, like, the song Isolation that we mm-hmm. that uh, we had talked about that Stephen had recorded. Yes. And we were talking about, like, well, it's not a full <laughs> song. Like, yeah. it really needs to be it fleshed, be fleshed out. out. Yeah, jinx. <laughs> Literally two days later... <laughs> Craig Northey and Kevin Fox like decided to do their own backups, obviously with a social distancing, their own backups to it and have melded it together as a full Stephen Page song now on, on YouTube and Twitter. Go out and listen to it. It is beautiful. Oh my goodness. I, I love this song. It is not repetitive at all now with all that backup melded in. So, and of course this is three weeks later. So you're already, everyone already knows about this, but if you haven't heard it, please go out and hear it. You know, it was a really great song that we had this week. I, I really love this song. It, it examines the life of a protest singer and this guy who just jets around and entertains the troops in a very cynical way. But Aaron, what do you think that he said when he got off the helicopters? Hello, your city name here. <laughs> and, uh, interestingly enough, that's the song that we're going to discuss next week is Hello City. So come back next week and join us as we discuss Hello City. Will do. Hey, maybe uh, maybe Becca could come on since she's such a big fan of Hello Kitty. <laughs> that would be wonderful. <laughs> Hello Kitty. Hello City. All right. Well, hey, uh, it was really good talking to you guys. David, really nice Absolutely. to talk to you, sir. Thank you very much for having me on, guys. I really appreciate Pleasure. it. This has been a ton no, of fun. Do- 